the book of Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And it reads, Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are several things to note here. Number one, the opening sentence sets the tone of the whole letter. He addresses himself only as a servant of Jesus Christ. He does not see the need to address himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he does in most of his other letters, such as Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians 1 and 1, 2 Corinthians 1 and 1, Galatians 1 and 1, Ephesians 1 and 1, Colossians 1 and 1, 1 Timothy 1 and 1, 2 Timothy 1 and 1, and Titus 1 and 1. Nine out of the 14 letters he wrote, he defended his apostleship or he addressed himself as an apostle. But the question to ask is, why not here in Philippians? I believe it's because the Philippians church was an obedient church with very few problems and because they loved and adored Paul. He didn't have to defend his apostleship to them because they saw him as the man of God he was. Now, let's look at the phrase servant of Jesus Christ. The servant here means a slave. When Paul called himself a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, he was saying two things. Number one, that he was the absolute possession of Christ. He knew that he was loved by Jesus Christ and that he was bought with a price. And we see this clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. The second thing is that he owed an absolute obedience to Christ. Listen, a slave has no will of his own. His master's will is his will. In other words, not my will be done, but your will be done. It is a beautiful thing to be a slave of Jesus Christ. As one once said, to be Jesus' slave is to be a king. Paul puts Timothy on the same plane or level as himself. He says, Paul and Timothy, the servants or slaves of Jesus Christ. I believe that Timothy was Paul's successor in the ministry. Timothy was Paul right, was Paul's right hand man with the right name. Timothy's name means honoring God. I like that. Paul and Timothy sends greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, including the bishops and deacons. And Paul's greetings to the church at Philippi was grace and peace be unto you. What a beautiful introduction here. All right, let's look at verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now he begins the body of his letter to them in a loving manner which reveals the wonderful relationship between Paul and the Philippians believers. Isn't that awesome? Every time he thought about them, he gave thanks to God. All right, let's look at verses four through six. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul says here to the Philippian believers, Number one, I always pray for you and all my requests to God concerning you are done with joy. Why? Because of the wonderful relationship that, uh, between Paul and the Philippian believers. Every time Paul thought about them, he would give thanks to, uh, to God. He would pray that God would increase them even more. 
Paul had no doubt that God would complete what he had started in them so that they would be ready for the day of Christ, which is the return of Jesus Christ. All right, let's look at verses 7 and 8. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul tells the Philippian believers several things here. Number one, we are partners together in grace. And number two, we are partners in the work of the gospel. And he uses two words to express the work of believers for the sake of the gospel. Defense and confirmation of the gospel. The defense of the gospel means it's defense against the attacks which comes from the world. Every believer must be a defender of the faith and must be ready at all time to give a reason for the hope that is in him. And the confirmation of the gospel, which is the edification of believers, the building up of one another. Paul tells them that together we are furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ by defending it against the attacks of the enemy and by edifying each other, keeping each other charged up in the faith. Then Paul says, I long after you all. In other words, I yearn for you all with the bowels of Jesus Christ. Paul is simply saying here, I yearn for you with the very compassion of Jesus Christ himself. I love you as Jesus loves you. Oh, that's beautiful. Look at uh, verses 9 through 11. And now this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul says here that this is what I pray when I pray for you. I pray that your love will grow more and more each day in number one, knowledge. Why is this so important? Because the more we learn about Jesus through his word, the more sensitive we become to his will and to his desires, and the more our love for him increases. And then he says, I'm also praying that your love increases daily in all judgment. Now, the word judgment here means discernment. Knowledge and discernment works hand in hand because the more we increase in knowledge, the greater our discernment becomes. The more we know, the better we discern. And when our love increases tremendously in knowledge and in all discernment, we will be able to approve things that are excellent. In other words, when our love increases tremendously in knowledge and in all discernment, we will walk in excellence. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are not walking in excellence because of a lack of knowledge. It's like a poor man that has been awarded a million dollars but doesn't know it. He will remain a poor man, even though he is actually a rich man, because of a lack of knowledge that he has already been awarded a million dollars. Listen, God wants his people to walk in excellence. He wants us to excel in this life. He wants us to excel spiritually, financially, and in our health. He wants us to enjoy the good life. He wants us to excel. 
Then Paul tells them that ye may be sincere. The more we spend time in God's word and the more we apply it to our lives, the more serious we become about the fate. Then he says with offense. In other words, love that increases in abundance in knowledge and in all discernment causes a believer to live a blameless life, a life that is above reproach before the world. Now, how long should we allow the love of God in us to grow in knowledge and in all discernment? How long are we to walk in excellence? How long are we to live blameless lives, lives that are above reproach uh, before the world? Paul gives the answer till the day of Christ. In other words, until Jesus Christ comes back and take us out of here. Then he says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul is saying here to the Philippian believers, I'm praying that love, joy, uh, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance grows to full maturity in their lives, that God would be glorified and praised. Listen, it's all about him. It's all about bringing glory and honor to his name. Let's look at verses 12 through 14. But I would ye should understood Brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Paul says here in verse 12 that the gospel didn't slow down because he was in prison. In fact, it increased. And in verse 13, he tells them how the palace here was actually Caesar's court. In Acts chapter 28 and verse 16, it tells us, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered or was allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Now, this was part of the prophecy that the Lord Jesus told Paul in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, how that he would bear his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here he is in the royal palace of Caesar, the emperor of Rome, declaring the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only did Paul's imprisonment enable him to reach into Caesar's household with the gospel, but it also accomplished something else. We see in verse 14 that Paul's imprisonment inspired many more believers in Christ to preach the gospel even the more without fear, with pure boldness. My God, that's good. Look at verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will. Rejoice. Listen, the important thing to Paul was that Christ was being preached, whether it was done by envy and strife or out of love. Paul rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was being preached. Then Paul tells them that some were jealous of him, intimidated by his ability uh, and influence, and they wanted the prime light. 
So they preached the gospel to shine in the forefront in Paul's absence. They preached for self-gratification. Then there were some who had the same vision as Paul, and they preached even the more to make up for Paul's absence. Their hearts were after God. And even though Paul would, would have rather everyone to preach the gospel out of love, he rejoiced in the fact that Christ was being preached. He rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was getting out. Why? Because he understood. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. He knew that all it took was for people to hear it and believe and their lives would be changed forever. My God, my God. Look at uh, verses 19 through 20. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by debt. Paul says here to them, because of your support through your prayer, because of the help of the Holy Spirit, and because of my earnest expectation and hope, nothing shall shame me into silence. <laughs> my, 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 my. Whether I'm free or whether I'm bound in chains in prison, nothing would keep me from declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am determined with all boldness that Jesus Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. If I continue to live, he will be magnified in my body. If they kill me for the gospel's sake, he will be magnified by my death. My God, that's awesome. Let's look at verses 21 through 26. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of fate, that your rejoicing may be more abundantly in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Now, Paul says here in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, if the Lord allows me to live, I will continue to steadfastly do the things he has called and ordained me to do because it's all about him. Everything I have accomplished and and shall accomplish all glory and honor belongs to him. For without him, I can do nothing. I'm nothing without him. He is the one who is shining through me. But if I die, it would be far better because I would immediately, instantly enter into his presence. But I am confident that I would be here a while longer for your spiritual benefit. Although I would rather be with the Lord, it is the will of God that I fellowship with you again. And I am excited about it because I know that my presence will lift your spirit, will lift up your spirit and strengthen your hearts in Christ. It will bring a spiritual refreshing. All right. Verses 27 through 30. Only let your conversation be as it becoming the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of prediction, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his 
sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Chapter one is summed up in one verse, and that's verse number 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 